If you have your Bible today, turn please to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I'm looking out here and I have to say something. We have one of our SBC students here who uh, had quite an accident and tore the pectoral muscles from uh, the bone. And I see you sitting back there and I'm in awe of you sitting there studying the word of God knowing that you're hurting. Great to have you here, my brother. Be praying for our SBC students as well. We're looking at this topic, the church of fire, the church of fire, getting acquainted with our power. Power can be, well, it can be terrifying. It can be daunting, at least. Uh, on HGTV, one of my favorite uh, channels, HGTV, from time to time, they go in and they do one of these, uh, we're going to transform your room or whatever, and they, they bring the homeowner in and they say, have you ever used this kind of a saw? And they say no, and they turn it on and the people go, ah! Or they give them a power nailer and they go, boom, and they go, ooh, ooh, I don't know about that. It's terrifying. There are times that you use a tool and it's terrifying. Ed Sanders, who was uh, on the Extreme Home Makeover November 11, 2006, was using a mini angle grinder. And it, it ro rotates at 12,000 12, RPM. And he had replaced the grinder wheel with a wheel that had the teeth of a chainsaw on it. And he was gouging out this wood, and he had his hand on the wood and went right across from the little finger all the way to the thumb and just laid open his hand. In fact, there are parts of his hand that they never found. 250 stitches. I won't, I won't go into all the details. It took him a year before he got most of the flexibility. He probably will never get all of the flexibility back in his thumb. In just a second, that tool did that. Power can be terrifying. Power can also be enjoyable. Because it's the same homeowners that the first time or two they use that power nailer and they're screaming and hollering and they don't know what to do. It's amazing to me how many women at the end of the episode say, they, they stand up with one of those things, they say, i got to get me one of these. This is pretty cool. Oh, It's not just the guys. These, these women, man, they, they're, they're tough and they've got it together. Power can be enjoyable. I was, uh, the staff goes out on Tuesday a lot of times after our staff meeting, after we've had prayer and all, we go out to lunch. We were at the mall, and I was waiting on my lunch to be fixed there at the mall, and I was noticing that there was a little child, a little girl, obviously the first child, and I can tell you why I know that, because she was dropping her bottle. And the dad was picking it up and saying, here you go, you drop this. And she was dropping it, and he was going, here you go. And, he, and each time he would take a sanitized wipey and wipe the top of it off and the side of it. I mean, I understand it's the mall. If it had not been their first child, he would have gone like this with his shirt and given it back to her. But he was sanitizing the, 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 the top, the nipple on this, and giving the bottle back to this child. And all of a sudden, she looked up at me, and it was like, look at what I can make him do. And she went, do, like that one more time. Power can be enjoyable, right? The other thing that we know, not only is power terrifying and power enjoyable, but power sometimes can be totally ignored. It, you know, we have these big signs, danger, warning, high voltage. We went on a mission trip to Catadupa, Jamaica. It was up in the mountains in Jamaica. It was a very rural place, but they did have electricity. And when we went up there, they said, now, here's what you need to understand. Your clothes will never dry. We get 400 inches of rain a year. That would be called a rainforest. And we thought we, they got all 400 of it the week that we were there, the 10 days we were there. But they said, you can just dry, it, it, the, your clothes will never completely dry, but to be wearable if they get wet, if you'll hang them outside on these lines. 
And we looked at the lines, and we realized it was the 120 power lines running in to the different buildings, and they were giving us metal hangers to hang on the power lines. I don't know for sure what they were saying, but it wasn't a good thing. And they were completely oblivious to the fact, and when we looked at the power lines, not only that, all of the insulation being out in the weather for years, it was interior insulation, and it was cracked and broken. The only thing that we were amazed at is that they were still alive doing that. Power, sometimes we're totally unaware of it. It can be terrifying, it can be enjoyable, but sometimes we don't even know it's there. And that's exactly what happened in Genesis 28, 16. Jacob is there. And the Lord has been in his life and been guiding him, but he doesn't see it. And finally he goes to sleep and he has this vision of, of angels descending and, and ascending on this ladder. And when he wakes up, it says, when, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. And some of you came today and you're singing the songs and you're thinking, oh, it was kind of a neat song. I don't like that one. I don't know that one. But surely the Lord, because it says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. When we were worshiping the Lord, you may not have even been aware that the Lord is with us. And we need to get acquainted with our power. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, as he daily guides us and directs us and works in among us. And we don't recognize it. We need to learn to use the awesome power God offers. That's where I'm going with this message. Like I said, if you have your Bible and you've turned to Acts chapter 12, uh, we, we need to ask two questions from this. The first one is, do I understand? Do I grasp the, the scope of God's power? Do I really get it? Do I understand it? Do, has it dawned on me? Reading just the first four verses of the chapter, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John. You remember James and John? They were brothers, the, the sons of Zebedee, the th sons of thunder. These guys were not meek and, uh, meek and mild people. They were bold. They were brash. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 soldiers assigned to one, one prisoner. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And we, we really need to understand two things. Number one, God is aware of my circumstances. God is aware of my circumstances. If you had been in the early church and you'd heard that King Herod had arrested somebody, the first thing you'd have to know is which Herod because there were several Herods. There was Herod the Great who had the babies killed in Bethlehem at the time of Christ. And Herod the Great was, uh, he had his own problems, but he was a tremendous builder. He built the Temple Mount, he built the temple, spent 40-something years working on that. He was a builder all over Israel, and, and he was known to be a great builder and in many ways a great ruler. He had a son. He didn't care much for his son, I guess, because he killed his own son, Aristobulus. Herod the Great killed his own son. And because of that, when Herod the Great died, there was another Herod, Herod uh, Antipas, who took over. But Herod the Great had a grandson named Agrippa. Agrippa was the black sheep of the family. He was the one that was just always kind of messing up. In fact, he messed up so much that they sent him to Rome to be educated with the imperial family. And Herod the Great just thought, if I get him out of my sight, maybe I won't kill him too. Literally, that's what he said. 
And so Agrippa went to Rome, and he then in, after he'd been in Rome for about 20 years, they ran him out. He was a playboy. There were several women pregnant. He had great debts because he was a gambler. And they ran him out of town, literally ran him out of town. And he came back and he lived in a pauper. His uncle, his uncle had taken over. Herod Antipas had taken over. And finally there was a horrible man by the name of Caligula, who was a Roman emperor, who was put into power. And guess who was his best friend? Agrippa. And so he put Agrippa in power. The Herod that we have here is Herod Agrippa. This man who was a playboy, this man who fathered many children out of wedlock, this, this man who, who had great gambling debts. But when he came into Israel, he realized, and Caligula said, I'll give you southern Syria and Galilee. And then a few years later, another emperor came in, Claudius, who was also raised with him and gave him Judea and Samaria. So King Herod is, is king over this whole part of Israel. And what Herod figured out is, if I just take a cut of all the taxes that are supposed to go to Rome, I'll be rich. And he was. But the Jews didn't like him much because they were all descendants of Jacob. And the other one, you know, the Jacob that had the vision, the other one, his brother Esau, that's who the Herods were from. They were called Idumeans. And so they didn't like him much. So to keep peace, he did favors and he exterminated the Christians. Now you've said all of this history. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because God knew all of this. When James is executed, and the church is thinking he's one of the original disciples, he's one of the apostles, and he's executed just at the whim of this madman, this man who was such a horrible person, did God understand? And then Peter is arrested, and they're thinking Peter's been the spokesperson at, at Pentecost, and Herod's already announced to everybody there'll be a trial, but there were no trials with Herod. He would bring them out, and he says, I say he's guilty. Anybody disagree? And if you disagreed, you died. So everybody agreed with Herod. And they knew that Peter was going to die immediately after the feast that was coming up. In fact, the word that, that Luke uses here, he intended to persecute them as kako'o. Kako'o means to do the worst evil, the most heinous thing that you can think of. James is executed. Do you think Jesus knew about that? In Mark chapter 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come in. And in fact, one of the, the passages say, say their mother came with them and say, look at my boys, a good Jewish mom, a stage mom. Look at my boys. You can put one on the right hand and one on the left. And Jesus said, you don't understand. That's not for me to decide. I'm already standing at the right hand of God. But the mother asks, the boys ask, and they say, can't we do this? And Jesus asks this question, can you drink of this cup? And they all say, cup? I can drink out of a cup. Sure, I, we can do this. But do you remember when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Lord, if it's possible, have this cup pass from me. The cup he was talking about was death. And he says to James and to John right up front, are you willing to die? And they say, of course we are. And James proved it. Jesus knew and told him what was going to happen. John would be sent into exile and eventually would die as well for his faith. Peter's in prison, maybe the Antonia Fortress right there on the northwest corner of the, of the Temple Mount. And, and he's, he's, the church is in shock. And it's easy to assume that God did not know what happened. Yesterday as we're out on the trail and we're riding, we've rid ridden 31 miles and everything's fine and we're coming around a corner and we go down and, and I hear Fred go down and, and Gary's behind and I'm a, in, in front and, and he bumps the back of my tire and he goes down and I'm thinking, oh, Fred fell. And, and I went over and, and I'm saying, how are you? And he says, oh, I hit hard, but I think I'm okay. 
And what's easy for me as I'm sitting in the hospital on Saturday afternoon is Gary and I took turns and tag team to, to be there with him until his family could come because they were, they were gone on a trip. It's easy to assume, God, where were you? This, this guy, he loves to serve you. This is the guy who goes and, and helps out other people's homes. Father, where were you? The Lord says, I was there. He didn't split his head open. He's able to reason and, and function. His helmet cracked completely in two, and yet his head was fine. Where were you? And I can just see the angel coming under Fred's head as it's beginning to hit. You see, we think that God doesn't know. And one of the biggest questions we have in our life is, God, do you, are you aware of my circumstances? And the Lord says, of course I'm aware. God's not surprised. Luke 22 Right before Peter denies him, Jesus says to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, I've said before, if God uses your name twice in a row, it's not a good thing. George, George. My mother used to do that. George, George. I knew I was in trouble when she said that. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might, may not fail when you have turned back. Strengthen your brothers. Number two, God is not only aware, but God is greater than my circumstances. When James was executed, God could have stopped it in a second. When Peter was arrested, he'd already been arrested twice before, God could have stopped it in a second. He's aware, but he also can handle anything that comes my way. You see, there were 16 soldiers to guard one prisoner. Why? Because Peter had been arrested twice. One time he's chastised, beaten, and, and released, uh, or, or he's just chastised. Another time he's actually beaten and release, and I guess, I'm sorry, the second time the, the, the angel opened the jail doors and Peter and others are released. Acts 4.21, Acts 5.19. Peter had been arrested by the Sanhedrin and Herod said, well, these are the Jewish guys. I've got the Roman soldiers. I've got the real guys. He wanted to make sure that Peter was secure. Have you ever felt like a prisoner of your circumstances? Have you ever felt like, okay, God might know, but he's not doing anything? In 2010, I had knee surgery, and, and it was just four and a half weeks before we were supposed to go to Israel. And God and I had this conversation, Lord, I'm supposed to go to Israel and climb all these steps. Will my knee be ready? And I would say that to the surgeon. I would say it to the physical therapist, and I would say it to my wife. I would say it to my friends, and they would all go, we're tired of listening to this. The truth is, God healed my knee. He used a surgeon, he used a physical therapist, but I went up and down all of the stairs and had no problem. I was not a prisoner to the circumstances. God knew exactly when I needed the surgery, and if I'd not had it, what if I'd gone to Israel and there I'd blown my knee out? God knows, and he can handle it, and his timing is perfect. Sometimes we think, oh, my health, my job, my finances, my relationship, the politics, our country, oh, oh, woe is me, poor us. God says, wait a second, I'm still in control. Do you remember the story when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate? He's, he's going to the, to the crucifixion, and he knows that he's going to be crucified. He's already prayed about it, and he's turned it over to the Father. He's going to do the Father's will. They beat him. It's called scourging, and, it, and it's a horrible beating. They beat him almost senseless. And then they stand him before the guards, and they put a blindfold on him, and they ask him questions, and when he doesn't answer the way that they want, and he never will, they beat him about the face. Now, I don't think that's like this. 
I think they hit him so hard that it would knock him down every time. And then they put this crown of thorns on his head. And then they march him into Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, you ready to talk? And the Lord doesn't respond. And, and look at what Pilate says in John 19. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And it says in the next verse, from then on, Pilate tried to free him. Pilate had never seen this before. Anytime you beat a, a prisoner like that and you brought him in, he was in total submission. Anytime a prisoner was brought in, if they were still conscious, if you asked a question, they answered the question. Anytime you had done that, he had never seen a prisoner not only refuse to talk, but when he talks, he says, listen, all power is really given by the Father, and do you understand, it's not your power. And Pilate at this point, I think chills went up and down his body, and he thought, uh-oh, something's happened. And the God of the universe, who is never surprised, is never overwhelmed. The God of this universe knows the situation our country's in, knows the situation our family's in, knows the situation our church is in, and he is still in control. And his will will be done. No matter what you're facing, remember these, this one phrase, God is greater. Our God is greater. Here's the second part of this. How can, do I understand the scope of God's power? The second part is how can I access the full extent of God's power? Once we begin to understand the scope, what all that God can do, how do we access that? Look back at Acts chapter 12. Here's the rest of the story. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Wait a second. Peter's going to be executed tomorrow, and what is he doing? Sleeping. I can't even sleep the night before Christmas. I'm, you're going to be executed, and you're sleeping? Are you kidding me? Sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains... And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. I love that. Peter sleeping so soundly. He has to go, Peter, Peter, Peter. Struck him on the side, woke him up. Quick, get up. He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Literally, the word in Greek is automé, automé. Where did we get automatic from? That. The gate opened itself. Uh, open for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, I like Peter's thought here, when it dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, 
There's a lot of Marys, but look, it, it specifies, Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. So John Mark's mother's house, where many people had gathered and were praying. People, uh, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. They had double doors. She's in the inside. He's knocking at the outside. She opens the inside, hears his voice, and doesn't open the outside door. Peter's at the door. Verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Weren't they praying that Peter would be released? Hadn't he been released before? And what they say? You're either crazy or or you, get, you have a vision. That was the only two options. Verse 16, Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Then look what he says, tell James and the brothers about this, he said. Then he left for another place. There's, by the way, more than one James here. One James is the brother of Christ. Verse 18, in the morning there was no, more, no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod made a thorough search, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, that's Caesarea Maritime, and stayed there for a while. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, Josephus tells us that this was a royal robe that had silver thread sewn into it so that it glinted. It was the first sequined outfit, okay? His royal robes, he sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Look at the next verse. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. How can we access the full extent of God's power? Number one, pray in a way that stretches you. Pray in a way that stretches you. The church was earnestly praying. R. Kent Hughes, uh, a Bible scholar, writes this. Does anything look more ridiculous to oppressors than a ragtag, harried group of believers praying for God's help in the midst of oppressive darkness? We've, we've been announcing the last few weeks that you, we should register, that we should vote. Not telling you who to vote for, but we've been telling you that. And there are people who are saying, all the Christians praying in America can't change the election. Don't believe it. A handful of people praying can change God's mind, can change God, the, the hand of God. We need to pray. We need to be stretched. Literally, the word earnestly there is ectanos, ectanos, where we get the word extend or extension to stretch to the max. It's only used a couple of other times in Scripture. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other extensively, deeply. Stretch to the max. And in Luke 22.44, when Jesus is in the garden praying, it says that he prayed more earnestly. Stretched to the max. The truth is, I don't want to spend too much time because two weeks from today, we're going to start a new study. We're going to leave Acts and we're going to go to a study on prayer. 
What changes the heart of God? What changes us? What changes when we begin to pray? We're going we're to examine prayer. But you need to understand that when they prayed, God answered. And when they prayed, Peter showed up. The people didn't even really believe their prayers, but they prayed. They were stretched, and we need to be stretched. I remember the story in the Old Testament. A widow comes to Elisha. And she comes and she says, you need to understand something. I've gotten myself in a fix. The creditors have come. And because I have not paid my bills, they're going to take my two sons. They would do that. They would take your children and put them into bondage and literally make them slaves until you paid off the debt. And she comes to Elisha, and what can I do? And he says, do you, what do you have? And she said, I have this little tiny thing of oil. And he tells her, go and ask your neighbors for jars and for pots, for anything that will hold oil. And he says this, he says, don't ask for just a few. 2 Kings 4, 6 gives us what happens with this. 2 Kings 4, 6 says, when all the jars were full, she began to pour the oil into the jars, and that little flask of oil began to fill up big pots of oil. And it went on and on, and when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Spurgeon, when he was writing about this, said this, If she borrowed few vessels, she would have but little oil. If she borrowed many vessels, they would all be filled, and she would have much oil. She was herself the measure of what she would have. And I believe that you and I, in the matter of spiritual blessings from God, have more to do with the measurement of our mercies than we think. We make our blessings little because our prayers are little. James 4, 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And 1 John 5, 14 says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When I close out my prayers, I always pray in Jesus' name. That's not a formula. When I pray in Jesus' name, the reason I do that is I want to remind myself that it's not in my power to do this. I want to remind myself that Jesus Christ is, there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. I'm going through him. I want to remind myself that it needs to be something that Jesus Christ wants to have achieved in my life, that it needs to be his will. So when I say those words in Jesus' name, what I'm really saying is, Lord, I'm praying that this is your will. I'm praying that I will know your heart and your mind in this thing. Pray in a way that stretches you. Number two, build your faith on your experience with God. Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. He was sleeping so soundly the angel had to strike him. I love it. He trusted the Lord. I, I think there's a, always a sense of humor in the Bible. But why the funny story about Peter showing up and knocking and, and Rhoda, and that really, that name means Rose, little Rose comes up and she hears it and she goes back and says, Peter's outside. You're crazy. Peter's outside. Oh, it must be an angel. Can't be Peter. Why that funny story? Because the Lord wants us to understand that we grow in our faith through experience. We build our faith through experience. And when God has answered a small prayer, then we're ready to trust him to answer a bigger prayer. And as we give him those little things in our life, the bigger things become more accessible to us. If we want full access to God, we need to build on the faith that God has given us. It took time. 
And I think that Peter remembered what Jesus had said, you know, when you have returned to me, go back and strengthen the brothers. I know that that's all about the denial, but I think it's also when Peter's lying in prison that night, as he's going to sleep, he's thinking, you know what, Lord, when you answer this prayer, if you save me from this, I'm going to go tell James, who ended up being the head of the Jerusalem church, James, the brother of Christ. I'm going to go back and tell James, and I'm going, to, I'm going to build on the faith that you've given me. Father, if you, if you allow me, if you save me from this, I'm going to tell other people. We build on experience. I was one of, of five boys, and there was the, then the sixth child in our family was a little girl. And all of my brothers were tremendously talented in, in athletics. It was very, it was disconcerting because one of my brothers set a record in swimming. Another one set a record in the shot put in, in Kansas City. And so by the time I'm the fourth kid gets along here, I'm thinking this is going to be really tough. And for some reason, I thought maybe that diving was going to be what would be good for me. And I quickly realized that I have vertigo. So that if I tumbled a couple of times, it was nice because then you could go in the pool and throw up. But I just couldn't do flips. But my brother David could do fantastic flips. So my little brother David, who was a couple of years younger than me, would go on the high dive and he would do a back flip or a forward flip or one and a half off the diving board. And then he would say something like, well, my brother George would go off the dive, but he's chicken. So finally one day, I mean, he's already up plenty of old enough to do all this stuff, and one day I climb with trembling hands, and I get on the high dive, cool crest in Kansas City, this big public pool, and I look down, and it's 437 feet to the water. Okay, it felt that way. It was about 20 feet. It was a high dive. It was, a, it, it was an amazing dive, and I thought, there is no chance that I'm going to jump off this. But then my brother David said something about, well, if, if George won't go, my little sister Susan will go off. No rivalry among our family. And so I just stepped off the end of the board. And I said, see, David, I did it. And he said, yeah, but you didn't dive. So I went back and I dove. And eventually I even learned to do a flip, but I could only do one a day because I would get sick because I'd get vertigo. But every time I did it, I built more confidence. The first time I could barely step off. By the end of the time, I would go out and I would take the biggest leap and I would get the biggest bounce and I would go up. I could do a swan dive or any kind of other dive off the high dive because I built on the experience. And the Lord says, the first time you come up to that high dive, you may just barely step off the edge. You trust me and step off the edge and watch what happens. And I will build the experience that you have. Do I learn from what God has done in my life? In Matthew 16, the disciples are with Jesus, and he's already fed the 4,000, he's already fed the 5,000, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee once again in a boat, and, and they begin to discuss who's the greatest, and, and he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, and, and they say, oh, it's because we forgot to bring bread that he's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees, and the, and the Lord at this point, I'm thinking, he's going, oh, what am I going to do with these disciples? And aware of this discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? It's not about bread. If I could take five loaves and a couple fishes and do this, if I could take the seven loaves and do this, well, why are you talking about It's not about bread. It's about I am the bread of life. And he's talking about that sin that permeates so much of life. And the Lord is saying, guys, you need to understand the lessons you've been taught so you can go on to the next lesson. Number three, wait with anticipation for God to act. 
Wait with anticipation. This chapter starts out with Herod, King Herod, saying, I'm going to kill the Christians, and it ends with King Herod dead. This chapter starts out with the church in confusion and terrified. This, church, this chapter starts out with the church thinking things may be over for us before they ever get started, and it ends did you notice what it says in verse 24 once again? But the word of God continued to increase and spread. God's not done. God's not done with Redding, California. God's not done with you and your life. God has a hope for you, the song that we were singing. And we need to wait with anticipation for God to act. Herod's death is not only recorded here, but I mentioned before Josephus recorded it. And he said that it was public knowledge that Herod that day stood up in this silver sequined-like thing and the sun shone off of it. And they said, oh, it's a God. It's the voice of a God. And what Josephus says is in the middle of this, of this oration that he's giving, he doubles over in pain, goes down to the ground. They drag him off. And for five days, he can't eat, he can't drink, he can't speak. He's doubled over in pain. And on the fifth day, Josephus says that he dies this horrible death. The minute he does not give credit to God, when they say it's a God, he dies. What a contrast. Herod intends to murder Peter. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. And then in verse 11, Isaiah 55, 11 says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. This is God speaking. It, my word, will not return to me empty. But, I, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We serve the everlasting God. We serve God Almighty. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. We serve the God who is able to do all things at all times in his way. And his purpose will be achieved. What a shame it would be to miss that power. What an absolute horror to miss that power and to, to be hanging our hangers and not even understanding that the power was right within our reach. I'll close with this. It's a true story. Howard Hendricks tells a story of, of a little town outside of Fort Worth called Atasca. Just before World War II in Atasca, Texas, there was a school, public school. And they built the school and they thought they had done a good job, but they didn't do a good job with sprinklers in just before World War II began 263 children at school one day, the school caught fire. Every child, every teacher died. 263 children and the entire staff of the school died in this horrendous fire. The town of Itasca was just absolutely beyond grief. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to go. So many of their children had died in this. For 20 years, they did nothing, and finally, some years after World War II, they began to decide that children had been born again to different families. They needed a school, and they built a new school, and they contacted every sprinkler system in America and in Europe. They looked for the very best sprinkler system, and when they built the school back in Itasca, the public school, it was prized as the best sprinkler system anywhere in America. It had fail-safes. It had double uh, double safes, it, it was, there was no chance that it would ever burn again. The honor students would take people on tours, they would point out all the sprinklers, they would point out the whole system. 17 years after they built that, that public school, the school had grown to the point that they needed to put an addition on it. 
And when they went to put the addition on it, they found out that the sprinkler system had never been routed into the main. There was no water in it. It had never been hooked up. For 17 years, they thought that they were completely safe. They thought that they were completely under the power of this sprinkler system. For 17 years, they lived with no access to the one thing that could have saved their children. And what's sad to me is for too many Christians, they live so much of their life thinking that they've tapped into the power of God and there's something that's blocked it, that's broken it because they're not praying, they're not learning, they're not growing, they're not waiting, they're not reading, they're not studying, they've never tapped into the power that's in the power of Almighty God. Would you pray with me? Father, you know the circumstances of every person who is here today, every person who might be hearing my voice. And Father, their circumstances may be overwhelming. It may be about their their personal finances. It, It may be about their relationship and their marriage. It may be about something with their children. It may be something about their parents. It may be about a spouse. Father, it may be their their job, maybe their future, maybe their health. But Father, you know the circumstances and you are in control. So Father, we pray today that we'll tap into your power. By knowing who you are, first of all, personally, having a personal relationship with you, understanding understanding that what Jesus did on the cross for us is everything that we need to come by faith, to experience grace, to finally be your child, not because we earned it, because you gave it. And then, Father, once we have come to that point, may we pray, may we talk to you, may we communicate, may we ask you to do those things that we cannot do, to see your power manifested in our lives, to see your power overwhelm our situation, because, Father, you are greater And as we see your power, may we learn from that. May we grow in that. May we finally come to the point where we wait to see what you're going to do next. We anticipate, Father, that you are not done with us, that you have a plan for us. So today, Father, as we come humbly to you, may we access your power. May we know you. May we live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.